there you go. All right, good to see everyone. Um, I want to start today talking about dirty words. Now I got your attention. Everyone's looking up dirty words. Okay, dirty. Well, there's some dirty words in the in a spiritual in our in our church, and you know, they're not really dirty. What you think it is, like not cuss word, not sexually explicit word, but dirty in the sense that when you hear them, it sounds real good until you have to do them. They're dirty because you don't want to get dirty doing the very thing that these words are telling you to do. For example, holiness is a great word. Like if you ask any Christian, we should all aspire to be holy. But at the end of the day, when it, holiness is only good until when you're on that YouTube video and you know that you should not watch it. It is either too violent, too sexually explicit, and you know that you should click away from it. Holiness all of a sudden becomes a dirty word because you say, well, no one would know. I can just watch it real quick and skip it next time. Right? Holy is a great word. It's good, but the problem is it's hard to do. Sacrifice is a great word. Until you have to wake up on Sunday morning and your mom gets you to school, uh, gets you to church, and you're like, man, I really don't want to get out of, out of bed. Or your friend call you the night before and say, hey, let's hang out on Sunday morning. Sacrifice is a great word. We all want to sacrifice for Jesus until it becomes inconvenient for us. Forgiveness is also a great word until someone cut me off on the freeway. Then all of a sudden, I want justice instead of forgiveness. I want to set on my guests and go cut off that person and honk at them, make sure they know that this is justice. But I think all these words that, well, they're quote-unquote dirty, I think there's a bigger, baddest, dirty word there is. The most dirty word of all, I think, for many of us, even though you, don't, you may not realize it, is this word. It's the word submission. It's the word submission, putting yourself under somebody. Submitting to someone means you're, putting, you're being subjected by somebody. And for many of us, we don't like this word because it all of a sudden makes us feel powerless. That I need to submit to go under somebody? I need to give up my rights, give up my power to be under? And perhaps some of you, you have personal experience of that. Someone in authority over you take advantage of you. They abuse their power. And so you think submission means when I just submit to someone, that means I have to lose all the power there is in my life. That I become weak. And which, by the way, is how the world sees submission for many, for, for, for many of us. The world tells us. No one should submit to another person. That's why when we have uh, social media, everyone gets a platform to speak. We should not submit ourselves to somebody else's philosophy, opinions. We have a platform to speak, and therefore I will speak. Submission is a dirty word because for many of us, we think that we often have no power, no strength. We are a, an object to somebody else who is in power. But when we look at the passage today, what I want you to see today is this. That some, your submission to the earthly authority that God placed in your life, that is the loudest shout of the gospel that you can show to the world. That when you submit yourself to the governing uh, authority in the world, to your teachers, to your, to your uh, boss, to your supervisor, to the nune, to all these people God placed above you, when you submit to them, that is the megaphone that shouts the loudest for the gospel. Because the world tells us that we, submission is a bad thing to do. And then honestly, when we look at ourselves, when we look at our own heart, we resist submission. When is the last time when your mom 
to clean your room. You're like, yes, I'm ready. Unless there's an incentive comes with it. When was the last time your boss said, would you stay around for another hour? I'm not going to pay you extra. When was the last time someone wronged you and you say, man, please, I'm submitting that you're treating me unjustly, paying me unfairly. I'm still going to do the work. See, submission is going to give us, to leverage us an opportunity to share, to shine for Jesus that nothing else would. Uh, just kind of catch up a little bit. You haven't been with us, and you've been a review for you. First Peter, we've been covering all these identities that we have. It really fits into what we, uh, in our church, we call the discipleship pathway. That the first step we become a disciple is to love God. We talk about being holy, because God is holy as a vertical relationship. It starts with that. That we need to learn to love God, be holy, because God is holy. We don't become holy just to get something from God. But that moves us in chapter, at the end of chapter 1, that we need to love one another. That we need to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That your vertical relationship with God should lead to a loving relationship horizontally with those around you. And lastly, we talked about it last, last week, two weeks ago, that that love for God, love for people should extend externally to the world. That you are royal priesthood, holy nation, chosen race, not for the sake of getting benefited from God alone, but to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in this world. You were made to shine for Jesus. That is your purpose in life. And that's what God calls you to love him, love one another, and love the world around us. And with that said, Peter is going to move on now from chapter 2, the end, uh, middle of chapter 2, to give us a bunch of things, a bunch of um, exhortation, commands to live out these identities. And here's what it said. We're going to pick up the, the passage today in chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what it says. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, Peter is calling us God's beloved people. People loved by God. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, people who don't belong to this world, to do two things, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I want you to pay attention to the word good deeds, conducts that are honorable. In order for us to shine, Peter tells us to live good lives, do good things. That phrase, good deeds, are being repeated eight times in the next few chapters. He calls to be good people doing good things. One of the members of our small group shared the other day that it was really hard to share the gospel with someone that they live with. And those of you who are family members, who live with a roommate, you know how hard it is because they live with you. When they live with you, guess what? They know all your dirty laundry, not the literal ones, the ones in your heart. And every time, when, especially if they're non-believers, when you want to share Jesus with them, what would they say first? You don't live that type of life. You are not that Christ-like. And you see, what happened is for many believers, the reason I believe many non-believers don't come to believe in Jesus is not because they don't know the gospel. Many non-believers in this world don't believe in Jesus. It's not because no one told them the gospel. Certainly, millions of people have not heard the gospel. But I think at least in America, the number one reason why people don't believe in Jesus is because they haven't seen Jesus Christ being lived out in their lives. My wife Hannah used to work at Starbucks uh, when she was studying for nursing uh, prior to that, and, and she, she shared with me that she has this boss. There's only two Christians in this rotation, her 
and her manager. And everyone in, the, in, in that rotation hates one person. And guess who that person is? Of course not my wife, right? The manager. And guess what? He happens to be the only other Christian there is. And the reason why they don't like him is not because he's a taskmaster, at times he would be, but it's just the way he treated people. He's, the way he treated, the way he talked to people, the way he guilt people, the way he kind of throw that religious card on people. See, if people don't believe in Jesus, it's not because we don't share Christ with them. A lot of times it has to do with how we lived our own lives. And Peter here tells us we need to live such good lives that I think it's really ironic. If you look at the verse, it says this, keep your conduct, uh, keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, you know what it says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. So how can I do honorable good things, and yet people would accuse me? I think we all kind of experienced that before as Christians, right? We might want to do the right thing, but sometimes the right thing runs against the grain in the things of this world. You can do the right, honorable thing, but people still speak evil against you. And it is during that time that it is so easy, just like, oh, I just go fold into the, what the, uh, go into the flow with everybody. I just do what everyone else does and, and live the way they live. But Peter tells us, if you want to shine, if you are that whole royal priesthood, if you are that holy nation, if you are loving others externally outside in this world to shine for, you need to live good lives. And people need to see good deeds, even though they disagree with your good deeds. Our hope is that one day they will realize why we do those good deeds. For a long time, I kind of wondered what are those good deeds are. Like if you are thinking good deeds, what are the first thing you think of? For me, I think good deeds are doing charitable work, volunteering, helping a neighbor, give someone a ride, cooking someone food. All these are good works, good deeds, and I think those are uh, part of what Peter is saying. But you know, as I was studying this passage, one of the most amazing things I found was that Peter actually did not say any of those things. He did not even say, love them more. He did not say, sacrifice to them more. And there are two things that we'll see for the rest of the book that Peter, God through Peter, called us to live good lives. And that first thing is this, is what we're going to talk about today, is submission. For the rest of chapter 2 all the way to the beginning of chapter 3, the one thing that Peter said you need to live such good life, good, the good deeds that you need to do, is to submit to the authorities in your life. I don't know about you. I don't like submitting. My wife knows that I'm a very independent person. I like to do things on my own. I don't like to work for people. I want people to work for me. I like to own my own ideas rather than submitting under, subjecting under. And in fact, Peter tells us there are three areas that, that we need to be subject under. Here's the first one. First Peter chapter 2.13, continuing. It all starts with the phrase, be subject. It almost sounds like you need to be slaves. You need to be subject, go under, be linked to, be led by that authority. What is the first area? First area is this, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the, uh, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. The first area that we need to submit authority to is the civil authority. That means the president, 
the vice president, does the governors, the Congress, uh, the senators, the police. You might be thinking, well, I don't agree with they, – they don't, I don't agree. I did not vote for that president. I did not vote for that senator. I did not vote for that, that, uh, that speaker of the House. Why should I submit to them? But I want you to see what the verse did not say. It did not say, choose the one that you like. Choose the one that aligns with your political leaning. Choose the one that kind of drives your cause. Just to give you some background, Peter, when he was writing to these people, they, the Christians were living in a highly persecuted time. They were serving the very emperor that Peter was talking about. His name is Nero. He had a few loose screws in his head, so much that he actually burned, tried to burn down the temple and blame it on the Jews. So when Peter was talking about, uh, talking about be subject under these human authorities, the emperor, he's not talking about a nice guy that's promoting Christianity. In fact, the very audience that's li- living in this time that Peter was writing to, they are being persecuted. They are living on the margins. They were thought of as people who are against the government. They were thought of people that, that Christianity doesn't bring good to our society. They're the ones that actually make it worse. And yet Peter said, you need to subject yourself to this authority, which, by the way, they're persecuting you. You still need to subject to that. So that's the first, first area. We'll talk about what does it mean to subject later. The second area is this, verse 18. Be subject uh, servants. Here the word servants, it means Bond servants, almost as uh, the word that in our translation has as slaves. These people don't own their own life. These people are are literally subject to property of another person. And it was to be this group of people, he says this, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to do the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Peter, again, is calling us, calling the people to the servants. He is subject to the masters. Now, I realize none of us are servants. We might feel that way sometimes at work, or you might feel like that at school. But I think what he's getting at is the authority that is above us, whether you're your teachers, your professors, your supervisors, the lunch lady that's getting you back in line, the noon aid, all these people who are above you that God has placed in your life to subject yourself under them, to submit yourself to them. Again, it does not say whether you like them or not, whether they are right or not. In fact, it even highlights, it says, verse 18, not only to the good and gentle, but also to those who are unjust. So the very teacher who screw you over on a test, be subject to him. The very boss that, that, that take advantage of you, be subject to that. And now hopefully, oh yeah, I, I would imagine for many of you, like, that does not make any sense at all. But as we will go and see in verse 19, it says this, this is a gracious thing. If you submit yourself to, 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 to these authorities in your life, even though they are unjust, it's a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, you, but if when you do good and suffer for it, 
you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God sees that submission as a beautiful, gracious thing. And we will see it in a little bit why. The third area, so we have civil authority. Second one is people who are our bosses, our parents, uh, our um, teachers, professors, uh, supervisors. The third area we're going to touch on next week because I don't have time is the area of marital authority. It's not on the slide. This is going to be challenging for many of us because it says wives need to submit to the husband. And I think there are a lot of misconception and misunderstanding of that. And therefore, I don't want to take, I want to separate this next message so we can clarify some of these things. Because in the world that we live in, we tend to get confused about, uh, about the role of uh, wives and husbands. And we misunderstand what the passage is saying here. So we'll talk about that next week. But all in all, we have authorities in our lives. And the reason we need to, uh, the, the, the question we need to ask ourselves is this, why did Peter commands us to submit to these authorities even when they're unjust? Why do that when they obviously, we have every right to rebel against these authorities when they treat us unjustly? There are two reasons I want to share with us. The first one is this. The first reason why we must subject ourselves to earthly authority that God placed in our lives is because we must do it for the Lord's sake. First Peter 2.13, very clearly. Be subject for the Lord's sake. You don't do it because of them. We do it because of God. I don't submit myself to the President of the United States, whether I agree with him or not, because of him. It says it is for the Lord's sake. You, the ultimate authority in this world is not the president, is not the police, is not the governor. The ultimate response, ultimate authority in this world is God, and we do it for God. Our submission to the authority and God placed in our life ultimately belongs to God. Romans chapter, uh, chapter, six, uh, chapter 13 says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So every head of state in this whole world gets to be the head of state, not because they won a vote or they conquer more people. Even a dictator allowed to, to rule in a country is because God is the one who instituted that. Then how do we subject ourselves to someone who is cruel? Someone who is a dictator. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But we need to understand you don't ultimately submit to that person because of that person. You submit because it is for the Lord's sake. And God wants to use that as a way for you to shout the gospel to the world. Here's the second reason why we must submit. We must submit because we must become more like Christ. When Peter talked about being a ser- the servant and subject to the master, Peter used the very example of Christ. Here's what he says. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. If we can only just isolate that last part, it will be great. Everyone, every Christian would love to follow Jesus in his steps if it was easy. If it brings blessing, if it brings health, wealth, security. Following Jesus is nice and fun until 
we take the rest of that verse into context. It says, we must suffer because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. You're not only following him in just doing good things. You're following even when you're suffering. Suffering is part of walking in Jesus' step. We are called to follow Jesus in the easy thing, but we're also called to follow Jesus in the hard thing. I want you to think about Jesus' life. How did Jesus submit to the authority at the time? Jesus did a lot of good things. But when it comes to, you remember that story when, when it comes to paying taxes to Caesar? Did Jesus say, no, I'm a, a better authority in the world? Jesus said, give to Caesar what it belongs to Caesar and give to God what it belongs to God. Jesus never protested. Jesus never staged a revolt. Jesus, in fact, rarely, if at all, that I can think of, actually spoke politically about the, 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 the Roman Empire. Jesus kept on doing the good deeds. Jesus kept on submitting. In fact, it was so bad that people misunderstand so much of it that his own disciples were hoping the religious authority were thinking, I thought, Jesus, you said you are the Messiah. As a Messiah, what we read in the Old Testament is you were supposed to bring a rebellion against this, uh, the Roman Empire to restore the nation of Israel. But yet Jesus did not bring a revolution. Everybody else wanted to, and if Jesus wanted to, he could have. But I want you to see how Jesus responded when he was falsely accused, when he was dragged to be mocked, when he was trialed, uh, he was tried in a trial. When he committed no sin, 1 Peter 2.22, Jesus committed no sin. Neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was uh, reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting himself to him, meaning God, who judges justly. Jesus could have said something. Jesus could have done something. Jesus himself said, I could have called angels and come down and save me. Remember one of the guards said, if you, are, if you claim to be, to be Christ, to be a, a Messiah, you call out God, wouldn't God save you? God could have, Jesus could have done all of that in rebellion against the authority that he rightly could and should do. But Jesus submitted himself even unto death. Jesus lost his life in submitting to the very authority that is wrong unlawful, and harming people. So why do all of that? I think verse 24, 25 tells us the reason why. Here's what he says. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, 25, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we, unbelievers, we as believers now, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseeing overseer of your souls. Why did Jesus submit to the authority? When he was treated unjustly, when he was beaten, when he was mocked, when he was killed? Why submit to the authority? Because as a result of that submission, you and I get eternal life. He became the loudest shout of the gospel of the good news that he did not retaliate. He died. He could have not died. But he chose to submit even unto death so that your sin and my sin get paid for. 
See, submission to authority is never meant to please and, and woo the, the emperor, the governor, the authority that we are. We're not brown-nosing to get favor. The only reason why we submit is because God called us to. And second is this, that through that, we can be a megaphone for the gospel. That people will look at you and say, man, everyone else is rebelling against the teacher. Everyone else is saying bad things about the teacher. Everyone else in the cubicle is, is, is blaming the boss. You, on the other hand, chose not to do those things. And because of that, all, all of a sudden, you become a light into this place of darkness. And people wonder, man, this guy's a fool for not fighting for himself. Yet when something happened, they will turn to you and say, and what, what got you thinking of doing that? Gives you an opportunity to share Christ. And the result of that, our submission to Christ, submission to, to the authority can allow us to shout loudly for the gospel. That is why we need to submit. Here, I want to share just two quick things how we can submit practically. Here's the first thing we need to do to submit to, submit to the authorities in your life, which I think on our own fleshly self is hard. The first thing is this. We need to pray for the authority that is over us. It is very clear. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. It doesn't get any clearer than that. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and even thanksgivings be made for all people, especially for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I know many of you are young, but I've, I've heard your conversation that I've seen on different poses. Let me ask you this. Are you more prone to criticize or are you more prone to pray for the authorities in this life, in your life? Are you more prone to make a post on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, make a meme to make fun of the authorities in your life, including perhaps someone that you don't, didn't vote for, you didn't support? Or are you more prone to pray for the authority that God himself has placed? In this world. Now it does not mean that you have to agree with everything that he or she does. It does not mean that you need to, you need to um, uh, do things that they ask you to do that is outside of what God calls you to do. But, but I wonder how many of us even pray for these governing authorities. Even pray for our teacher. One time one of our kids had a parent-teacher conference. And the teacher shared with us, very sweet. And she's, she told us one of the big, best memories she had of our son was that our son actually on Monday, frequently on Monday, would ask that teacher, how was your weekend? And it might be very small things, but the teacher said, no students ever ask me, how's my weekend? I start every Monday morning, have a circle of time. I ask them how their weekend. I wonder how many of us actually care about the people who are our teacher, our professors, or our boss, and actually ask them, how are they doing? Is there anything I can pray for you? We sometimes look for the hardest way to share the gospel, but the easiest way is just ask, can I pray for you? How many of us pray for our president, the vice president? How many of us pray for the Congress? And, and I, I, as I'm saying this to you, I struggle with that as well. That is not on the forefront of my mind every week to pray for the governing authority in this world. But yet that is so clear in here that says we need to do that. So I want to encourage you to pray. Read the news. Ask. Ask your teacher. Ask your, ask your parents how they're doing. 
offer to pray for them. That is the way for us to pray for authority over us. That's how we need to subject ourselves, submit ourselves to these authority. Here's the second one. The last one is this, that we need to honor the authority with our lips, both privately and corporately. We need to honor these authority both in how we talk about them. 1 Peter 2.17 says this, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Here's the difference I need you to pay attention to. It says honor the authority. Honor the emperor, but fear who? God. It does not say fear the emperor, honor God. There are other places that we should honor God. But then there's a big difference between the two of them. See, we honor the authority does not mean we need to fear them. That if we do something that, is, that we know is, by the, is biblical, is right against them, that they will take our life. We don't need to fear that because only God can take lives away, both this life and the life to come. But it does say we need to honor them. We need to recognize them. We need to speak good about them. And you're like, how do I speak good about them? It is a really confusing world that we live in because in America, we have democracy. It is a very challenging time for us to, to speak honorably about political issues. I know for many of you are young. Because we do have the freedom to exercise, to speak. But I want to turn your attention to verse 22 and 23. Because I find it very interesting that Peter, of all things, he highlighted the way Jesus spoke in, re- in submission to the authority. It says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who and judges justly. The first thing Jesus did not do when he was tr- mistreated, treated unjustly by the authority, was that he did not lie. There was no deceit. You know how that works, right? Maybe your parents, your boss, your teacher says something wrong about you. Next thing you do, you, you, well, maybe you don't, I do, but you start making the story bigger. You start coloring outside the line, telling the story to your friends. Your, your mom tells you to clean the cl- uh, your bedroom. Like, that's so unfair. My, and then you go tell your friends, my, my mom told me to clean the whole house. Right? We just exaggerate, just get people on our side. Then maybe people believe our story, then we make, it, make us right to revolt against the authority that are in our life. But Jesus did not lie. Jesus did not tell a lot more elaborate story. In fact, most of the time, Jesus didn't even speak. On the cross, when he was about to die, he said, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Jesus not only did not lie, Jesus even prayed for the very ones who treated them unjustly. Honoring the authority means that we do not speak lies about them, both privately and publicly. That we speak honorably. Not only do you do not speak lies, the second part is this. That he said in verse 22, the end of verse 22. That not only uh, 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. You know what revile means? Speak evilly. You don't speak evil when Jesus was spoken as evil, as rebellious against the, the, the country, rebellious against the Jewish authority. Jesus did not return in revival. Jesus did not speak evil about that person. Jesus did not speak harshly. 
he did not speak abusively, even when he was mistreated by the people that God had placed authority over him. Again, I ask you again, do you ever speak evil against the authority in your life, both in your Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever social media you want to put on? Do you use that platform to speak evil against the authority that God has placed in your life or to even make fun of them, to call them names, even when they mistreated you? Or do you speak honorable to them? And I guarantee you when you start, when you start doing that, everybody around you will, will notice because the world that we live in is a world that speaks evil against one another. When we disagree, we just speak evil toward one another. But yet Jesus did not do that. And lastly, he did not, not only did he not, have, did not lie, he did not speak evil. The last one is this, that he did not threaten. Jesus did not threaten and say, I will call the army of angels to come burn this land. Jesus didn't even threaten to say, I'll get down the cross and I'll die for you sinners. Jesus did not threaten when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Do you ever do that? Maybe authority tells you, hey, I'm not going to pay you for the extra work you do. Do you get around with other people and say, dude, let's just quit. When the parents ask you to do something, you get your other siblings and say, no, let's not do it. Mom, you keep, keep asking me to do this, we're not going to eat. Do we threaten the very authority in our lives to get our ways? Jesus honored the authority in the midst of injustice. He did not lie, did not speak evil, did not threaten. Let me add on this little story to you. One of the good thing of pre preaching is that God tends to convict you a lot when you're working through this message. Uh, this past week, I have an experience that literally walked me through all of this because uh, my kids just started basketball again uh, in their league, and so they started practicing. Uh, during on a practice field, one of my kid, uh, one of the coach, one of the coaches, um, spoke up against my 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 one of my kids, and then he kind of highlighted him and his friend, and said, "You two kids stand over here. The rest of you do ten push-ups." At first, I thought, oh, my kid must be a good boy. The rest of them are bad. So they're like, good job, man. But then turns out, as it turns out, what, what happened, really happened is he was making an example of them. He said, you two kids were messing around, and therefore everybody else suffered. And the dad in me were like, you've got to be kidding me. And I saw the whole thing, what happened. What happened was my kid was trying to, he was first in line. He was trying to get the ball back as the kid took it away, rolled it away. So he went and grabbed the ball and get back in line. But the coach didn't see that. All the coach saw was him grabbing the ball from that friend. And so as a result of that, he said, every one of you need to do, do a push-ups, 10 push-ups. And being the protective dad that I am, I was furious. You know what I wanted to do? I was tempted to talk to the parents right next to me. Man, that coach is ridiculous. He had no idea what's going on. He wasn't even coaching the whole time. How can he miss out what my, my son was doing? I was really tempted to lie about the story. Not only I wanted to lie about the story, I wanted to talk badly about the coach. Like, man, you are coach. All these parents around me, and I was really tempted to say, man, this coach doesn't know what he's doing. Why is he mistreating my son? 
And I almost got to the point of saying, I'm going to quit this team. My, my kid was on wait list anyway. I'll take him to another school. We can play better over there. And all the while, you might think it's silly, but all the while, that voice keeps going in my head. Yes, my son was mistreated, but am I going to submit to the authority and show and, and let this be an opportunity to shine for Jesus? Because all around me, my, the, all the parents saw the exact same thing they knew. They're like, hey, Ben, why don't you go speak and tell the coach? Your son didn't do anything wrong. I could have easily just jumped on that boat and said, yeah, let's all go to Dr. the coach. But the reality is that's the way we all, by our flesh, want to respond to injustice, especially against authority. But it is when we honor the authority, when we entrust ourselves to the one who just, oh, judges justly, that's when he gives us an opportunity to share. Because at the end of that practice, a parent asks you, how come you didn't go up and talk to the coach? Isn't it kind of unfair for your son? And I told the parent, I said, you know, I will talk to the coach, but I'm not going to talk to him in front of all the kids and discredit him. I'll talk to him afterwards, and I'll explain to him so he realizes. I want to give him the benefit of a doubt. My, this is what I want to encourage you. This week when you have authorities over your life that even treat you unjust, I want to encourage you to let that be an opportunity to shout loudly for the gospel so that people can see that Christ in you is what matters the most in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this time in your word. We pray, Lord, it is so hard. It is hard enough to submit to authority when they're good, but it is even harder when they mistreat us, when they take advantage of us, and so much of us want exact justice. But yet, God, you call us this is the way for us to shout the gospel loudly to a world who is unbelieving. So, God, I pray for us that this week we will do exactly that by the power of the Holy Spirit as we reflect on the love of Christ that he had endured across for us. Help us to follow you in your steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.